Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and with Biz News Editor-in-Chief, Alec Hug. This week was spent largely in Cape Town, Alec, where you were attending the World Economic Forum meeting on Africa. And uh, I know you, you have written a lot about it, but we're just going to spend some time catching up on your thoughts and, and impressions. And to kick us off, I really wanted to ask you, you know, the, the beginning of the meeting was marred by the events in Johannesburg, or largely in Johannesburg, where there were these uh, anti-immigrant riots, there was some xenophobic violence and incidents, and uh, there were subsequent to that, obviously, um, problems in Nigeria for South African businesses, and it just a, a lot of tensions among African nations as a result of this. Now, how did that impact the start of the meeting, and, and did you see any repercussions, or was that diffused? What was the sentiment around it? Well, it certainly subdued the mood uh, on the first day. We got there on the Tuesday, and the meeting ran from Wednesday to Friday. On the Wednesday, what really, uh, I think, put things onto the back foot there was the cancellation by a number of African leaders uh, who were going to come and then didn't, uh, presumably for political reasons. We're not absolutely sure, and one never really knows in these in these uh, circumstances, but there were a few that didn't come. Then what was perhaps more uh, of an, had more of an impact was that on the Wednesday morning, the local students in uh, Cape Town, one of their, uh, one of their friends, Nene, uh, was, um, well, brutally murdered by someone who should never have been out of jail. And there, it, it, it sparked a almost spontaneous um, bit of activism with literally thousands of students camping outside the WEF, where the WEF was being held, uh, with placards and banners and saying enough is enough on the uh, attack on, uh, on, on women and children in South Africa. And indeed, that sparked uh, Cyril Ramaphosa uh, to the next evening uh, record a message, uh, and I know it was recorded because he was sitting in uh, a plenary session with us when it was being broadcast to the nation, but to to broadcast a message of saying, and it was actually quite a brilliant speech that he put together there. Unfortunately, it's going to be remembered that speech for or that that message for uh, a unforgivable blups by the SABC, who started recording Cyril, uh, who who began with uh, saying, "Fellow South Africans, it's a it's a." bad day, etc. And then he, he, he stumbled over his words, so he said to them, oh, let's start again. And the SABC broadcast that, as well as his, his, uh, his whole speech to come, which seems appears disrespectful uh, to the nation. Uh, but we know, having been on the other side of the camera, that that happens all the time, that people do pre-records and don't always get it word perfect the first time right. Uh, what I liked, by the way, on on that was that he never he, he was very humble in in saying to the cameraman, oh, "Please, you know, let's start it again," kind of thing. So for me, that was it was quite a good thing. But on the other hand, I think many people watching this will say, "Whoa, hang on, why is he rehearsing it? Why is he putting it on?" Anyway, it is what it is. The uh, the, the students uh, who were outside. The World Economic Forum required uh, the police 
to cordon off the whole area. So on the Wednesday, it was almost impossible to get out of the building, uh, which also put a dampener on proceedings. But it perked up on Thursday and uh, ended quite uh, quite vigorously and vibrantly on Friday, as always happens in these things, because the only purpose of World Economic Forum meetings really is to get people together in a room and inform them on the latest developments and to get them talking to each other and communicating and listening more than they're talking. And the consequence of that is always extremely positive. So I've got no doubt there will be lots of good things coming out of the WEF Africa meeting as a consequence of just getting all these people together in one room. It was sad, though, that uh, initially the xenophobic attacks um, were uh, did have an influence on some of the political leaders. I don't think it influenced too many people further down the, 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 the totem pole. Um, but then the very strong message that the students gave about uh, violence against women and children, and particularly women, and, and that's had a, a positive impact. Talking to people there, uh, the people within the, the WEF, there were a number who said to me they'd like to actually be outside with uh, the the students uh, protesting as well. So all round, maybe it was a watershed in a South African sense, but from a global sense, uh, from a, a continental sense, definitely more connections made, more more learnings made. Uh, these are very very positive events. You know, when we we talked a bit about the WEF meeting um, last week, and you said one of the things that you really hoped to see was South Africa being more humble, or the representatives of South Africa, I should say, being more humble and um, willing to learn from their African peers because there's been a maybe a history of South Africa being as a more developed economy relative to some of the others on the continent, being a bit of a, you know, a bit of a know-it-all maybe or, or just not really coming with the humble attitude of listening. And so I was curious to see, did you see that happening in the sessions that you were in? Did you see South Africans listening and learning? You know, I did. I really did. Uh, I was in a, quite a few sessions, in fact, where I was probably the only South African there. And the uh, there was there was so much to learn. And, uh, two things struck me. The one was uh, a, a a session with the publication Quartz Africa, where they focused on the best innovators of the continent, and there were four of them uh, who were and they were incredibly impressive people. But all four were from West Africa, which I found very interesting. None South Africa, none East Africa. Although East Africa is also known as an innovation hub, we we do know that in West Africa, entrepreneurship almost comes through need, and uh, that finely honed entrepreneurship skills that come out of that part of the world. That was really good. The other thing that, that struck me was I was uh, facilitating a session. That the WEF asked from time to time for, for, for journalists to uh, help in moderating uh, various sessions. And I was on, a, in an, on an off-the-record session, which I thoroughly enjoyed because it was something that was practical. The World Economic Forum has got a relationship with the World Trade Organization where they are trying to 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 find more research which they can give the WTO, which will help the World Trade Organization to implement uh, strategies and policies that basically helps the world and helps trade to flow more easily, which with what's going on in the West is not that easy right now. But uh, this this session was by invitation only, and there was very vibrant and strong discussion amongst the 
the participants, there were three tables of, I think, 15 people each uh, on how to promote investment into Africa. In other words, don't don't go out there and, and give a, a story that isn't accurate. You need to find ways that investors feel comfortable coming into the country. And the point that was made there that has stuck with me was from the chief executive of the uh, Ghanaian Investment Agency, uh, um, a, a very uh, interesting man called Yufi Grant. Uh, somewhere related, he was telling me, to Ulysses S. Grant uh, through, <laughs> through history. Um, but uh, he, he, was, he was saying that the big thing in Africa to him is what he called asymmetric information. And when I thought about it, the more I thought about this, the more sense it made. Because the, the story from Africa, the media story that goes out of Africa, is very rarely focusing on those great entrepreneurs that I was exposed to in, in one of the sessions. It's much more a almost a doom and gloom, corruption, negative, uh, can't get their governance right, and so on. But rather than where the tacky really hits the tar, and that is, where are the businesses focusing on? How, what kind of returns on investment are they making? Is it safe to invest in those countries and so on? So a lot of that narrative has changed dramatically, or the, the reality has changed dramatically over the last 20, 30, 40 years with democracy taking hold in the continent and governance improving dramatically from where it was. But the narrative hasn't changed. So if you're still sitting in London and you come home and you tell your, your spouse, uh, I've just made an, our firm has just made an investment of $50 million in Rwanda, your spouse is almost certainly going to say, are you guys nuts? Uh, because of the narrative that they have been given. Whereas that kind of thing now you would like something for, 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 for people who aren't that closely related to the African continent to start saying, hang on, this is the continent of young people, of bright eyes, of enthusiasm, of entrepreneurship, of higher than expected, than, 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 uh, uh, or higher investment returns than you get elsewhere. And all of those are true, but that truth is not getting through. So I really got what he was saying about this asymmetry of information coming out of the continent. Once you can break that, it's inevitable it will eventually. But it, it's almost like you need you need some catalyst to break through on that score to to get the, the real African story into the mainstream, not the one that the McKinsey's and, and these guys uh, like to propagate uh, for fees. You know, I think it's really important what you said there about the young people. I really thought about that this week. You know, we saw um, Robert Mugabe dying at the age of 95, um, and he was really a sort of one of the last representatives of a previous generation of African leadership and a, a, just a different Africa, you know. But the... This, the seeing his the news of his passing really made me think about you know Africa is the only region in the world with a young population a growing population where the the youth still really outweigh the older people where there's a young you know, the dependency ratios are skewed towards the young 
And that means that it's going to be a vibrant place going into the future because a younger population is associated with more growth, more innovation and more advancements in productivity. And I think that's such an important part of the story that doesn't get told. So I'm really happy to hear you uh, picking up on that and saying that that was a sense that you got uh, at the meeting, that this was something people know about the continent and are excited about. Yeah, and it is smashing. If, if you want to do better in future, you cannot continue with the status quo. This is a, a, a rapidly transforming world. It was very interesting going back to those, those four innovators who, as you can hear, really impressed me. Uh, a couple of them said, what we need to do, and they're all, they were all young people. They were, um, I guess the eldest would have been mid-30s. They were, they were all saying uh, that, that, well, not all, but two of the four said they need to almost sweep away the older generation of politicians and business people because they're too heavily invested in a way of doing things that isn't fit for purpose in the modern world and that the younger people coming through will then have the opportunity to not just uh, perform in line with uh, the hopes, but actually to leapfrog from where Africa is right now into a leadership position in the in the future, which it can very well be. The talent is here, the minerals, the resources, everything's here. Just the governance has been pretty bad, and the governance is now also uh, getting fixed. So, you know, we living in South Africa, we get caught up in the noise too often in the the day to day issues, and we don't get we don't really sense what dramatic change has happened in this country since December 2017. But those dramatic changes have been playing out in other parts of the continent now for decades. And the reality of where the continent is going with that or without the help of foreign investors is something that it, it, it's kind of a story that needs to be told. And maybe as a media company, we should be trying to tell that more. You know, you, you just said their leadership is changing. And as I understand it, you had a real uh, visceral experience of the change in leadership on your flight on the way home. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your meeting with uh, our finance minister? It was extraordinary. Now, we go back a long way. So um, I, I first met Tito Mboweni. In 1992, ironically, also at a World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, where he was uh, in the economics department of the ANC. Things were changing in South Africa pre-democracy. I was um, the economics editor at the SABC, the, the Broadcasting Corporation. And I, I well remember him uh, helping me one day to do a, a co-presentation out in the snow. He stood, we both stood out in the snow for ages. While uh, the cameraman got the lighting, we had we had a crew from Slovenia, would you believe, got the lighting and everything right, and and we got our guests lined up, and he he helped me to co-present as we uh, fed live back to South Africa. So it was fun. It was that we're of a similar age, so it it, it we were uh, I won't say we were close, but we we were very friendly. Um, then post nineteen ninety four. Uh, when he was Labour Minister, he was clearly in, in government and uh, being a business journalist, you don't really talk that often to a Labour Minister. And then 90, around 98, he was appointed Reserve Bank Governor. And in my naivety, uh, I suggested that no politician should actually be headed, heading any central bank because that was the story of the time. Of course, South Africa's 
always there to break the rules. And as the head of the central bank, he, he was, he was impeccable. But because of my criticism, which was pretty personal back then, uh, we, our relationship was completely strained. And in fact, we didn't talk to each other for some years until, uh, eventually, um, through his generosity of spirit, I went over to his office. He, he said, no, let bygones be bygones and let's, let's carry on. That was probably 15 years ago. Anyway, we've, we've engaged with each other since then. And, uh, and I'm one of those, one of his big fans, but, after my flight home yesterday, an even bigger fan. We bumped into each other in the airport and uh, waiting for the queue. And, and we stood in the queue, this long queue, chatting, which was great for me because I could I could listen to what our finance minister was thinking of the world. Not that he really shared anything uh, price sensitive, but, but just the way things were going and how he was doing and everything else. But it was quite extraordinary that here you have the man who's in charge of the country's national treasury of the budget standing in a queue like every other citizen waiting to go onto the plane, not using the priority line or anything. So that was interesting. And then when we went on to, got onto the plane, what was most kind of uh, uh, notable was that as we headed off towards row 15 or whatever it was, he came along with us. We went through the business class area into the economy area and he indeed sat down in an economy row seat um, next to the window with a, on a full plane with everybody else around him, just like, like we did, just like every other citizen would who was flying back from Cape Town to Johannesburg. And I, I, I contrasted this with a trip that I had, a memorable trip, uh, when I was flying around the country and doing a lot of business. So I flew home business class from Cape Town and the whole business class was full of South African cabinet ministers of the old administration. And when we arrived in Johannesburg, uh, there were a number of vehicles that came to the airplane to come and pick up these cabinet ministers. In other words, uh, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have expected them to, or you wouldn't have seen them in economy class like we see with the Minister of Finance or, uh, and all, all the special treatment that was given to them was just, it's just a standard, it was standard in the past. And this example that Tito Mboweni, South Africa's finance minister, gave by going on as an ordinary person and sitting in the plane, I think speaks such volumes about the watershed that South Africa had in 19, in, in, sorry, in 2017 at the ANC elective conference where you got a different uh, approach towards the country, one of realism, one of being part of the, of humility. And we saw that at the WEF as well, this humility, this listening, this ability, we, the president was was uh, was hugely impressive to me, not because of any eloquence in what he said, but because Sora Ramaphosa was there. You could see to listen and to learn and to share and to and to accept uh, the failings of the country in in certain of the areas. So, you know, Felicity, I'm I'm optimistic about South Africa for for many reasons, but probably the biggest one underlying it all is the, 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 if you have governance by people who take it seriously, people of integrity and people with humility who are prepared to listen and learn, then you really are on a different trajectory to much of the direction we've been following in the past. 
That's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, there is one available on biznews.com up in the premium section. You can subscribe to premium for just five pounds a month and get full access to our great content and to the digital version of the World Street Journal.